Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR A55 on your AM dial. Radical Philosophy is now on Twitter. You can find it by searching Rad Philosophy on Twitter and clicking follow to follow us and keep updated with the show. Hello, I'm Jana Thompson and this is 3CR Community Radio on 855 on your dial. And this is Radical Philosophy. That's philosophy for everyone. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. So glad you tuned in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Julia Flappi about the nature of judgment. Welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me, Beth. And um, can you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Yes, I am a, a lecturer in philosophy at the University of Southampton in the UK. After uh, I did my PhD at King's College London and all my undergraduate studies in Italy, all have been in philosophy. Uh, I fell in love with philosophy when I was 16, so that's what I have been doing since then. And my uh, interests lie at the intersection between philosophy of language and metaphysics. And I work primarily on the nature of thoughts or judgments. And uh, because uh, I I am interested in the nature of thoughts and judgment, I also work uh, in the early stages of the analytic tradition in philosophy. And uh, I'm currently focusing uh, not just on the usual suspects, so Bertrand Russell or Frege or Wittgenstein, but also some uh, female uh, figures from that period, so in particular Dorothy Rinch and Suzanne Langer, who have not been studied uh, as much as I think they, they should. So there is, the, I think, a wealth of unexplored ideas. So that's what I'm focusing on at the moment. Oh, no, that's great. So what was it that inspired you to study judgment? Well, I think that there is um, an interesting uh, tension there. So on there is a world around us, and that is, of course, uh, completely objective, we think, is around us, is uh, for you and for me. And then there are our uh, judgments about that word. And we have a feeling that these judgments are a very intimate affair. So they happen in our mind. They are quite private. You have your own and I have uh, mine. But at the same time, we communicate uh, our thoughts 
And then when we attribute thoughts to people or when we say what we think about the world, then it seems to me that we have an understanding of these thoughts to be public and shareable. So this tension between uh, judgment happening in our private uh, intimate um, mental activity and the fact that we, we share them so they are somehow public and shareable creates a tension that I find quite, quite fascinating. Now, would you have a definition of judgment? Well, uh, I don't have a definition, uh, I'm afraid, but uh, primarily because I think that there are various different, quite diverse things that go under the umbrella term judgment. So on the one hand, we think about a judgment as an activity of the mind. So for example, you Beth, when you judge that philosophy is interesting, you are uh, producing a thought, you are having a judgment, this is uh, the production of your mind, so it's an act. That is typically defined in the simple cases as the activity of predicating something of something. So for example, predicating the property of being interesting of the object philosophy. But judgments are also, let's say, the products of these acts, as when we say uh, the judgment that philosophy is interesting, this is not an activity, but is something else. Usually in philosophy, we call it um, the object of thought or the object of judgment. And for this object, there are very different ways of accounting for, for them. And there are some mainstream accounts in, in philosophy. And then there are also some minority views. So uh, typically, we, we tend to think that this object is uh, a structured entity. So it can be uh, some uh, a structured bit of reality. So when you judge that philosophy is interesting, for example, the object of your judgment is a order pair according to uh, a very uh, widespread view of philosophy and the property of being interesting. According to other views, it is another kind of structured entity. According to still other views, it is uh, an entity that is in fact not structured. And this might sound completely, um, completely counterintuitive, but one view is the idea that judging that philosophy is interesting means uh, judging uh, the set of all possible words or stories in which philosophy is indeed interesting. And still there are other views according to which there is nothing like that. So the judgment is there in terms of the activity, <clears throat> but there is nothing like the product of the judgment, which would be a structured or somehow uh, <clears throat> constructed entity. So no, I don't have a definition because there are too many views around 
and uh, it is very difficult to choose among them. Right. <clears throat> now, could you explain about the paper on the nature of judgment? Yeah, so my paper uh, on the nature of judgment uh, is about one of my uh, female figures, so is about Dorothy Ringe. So Dorothy Ringe uh, is a very interesting figure, besides being a very interesting philosopher. So she was, uh, when she was very young, she was a mathematician and a philosopher. And then she moved completely away from philosophy and she studied the structure of insulin for the rest of her academic career, passing by some philosophy of science. And when she was very young, she was studying with, with Bertrand Russell. And uh, around 1917-1920, she was uh, working on uh, a theory that uh, Russell put forward uh, during one of the many periods in which he was a philosopher of judgment. So Russell changed his mind uh, a, a few times. And one of these theories is called the multiple relation theory of judgment. So what is the core idea there? The core idea is that there is nothing like the object of the judgment. So it is the agent, so you, me, who do structure the objects we are judging things about. So according to the mainstream view, what you do when you judge something is that uh, you are related to an abstract object and you somehow grasp it and take it to be true. According to the multiple relation theory, there is nothing like a structure reality out there that you would somehow grasp, but rather your judgment is itself the structuring of this reality. So, for example, if you judge that Adam loved Bob, suppose, according to the mainstream view, you are grasping a thought, which is a structure entity, already structured with the relational love between the two subjects. According to the multiple relation theory instead, it is the reality out there is not structure already when you judge, but it is your act of judgment that somehow imposes structure on our reality. And Dorothy Ringe, was trying to solve some of the problems that Russell uh, was facing with this multiple relation theory. By the time she was working on the view, Russell already somehow moved on, but she was there to try to solve the problem that Russell left, left behind. And in particular, one, one of the problems is uh, something that uh, I find fascinating independently of the multiple relation theory. And it is the problem as to whether we can judge nonsense. So this problem goes back to, to Wittgenstein toward the multiple relation theory. And uh, Ringe's uh, aim is to show that judging nonsense is impossible, no 
rational animal, as we all are, is able to judge nonsense. And still, the multiple relation theory is perfectly able to, to account for that. Now, uh, the details are uh, somehow uh, technical, but what is interesting about Rinchi's account is that she uh, shows how we need to distinguish different kinds of nonsense. So uh, can people around us judge nonsense? Well, unfortunately, uh, it seems that they can, and we can all uh, experience that, uh, unfortunately, almost on a daily basis. But there is nonsense and nonsense, and Rinch account allows some kind of nonsense to be judgeable by rational animals as we are. For example, uh, it is indeed possible to think that a subject can judge that the teapot sneered at them. Or I won't go into any politics, but we can think about some nonsense there as well. But at the same time, being rational animals and having the ability to judge make it impossible for us to judge other kinds of nonsense because it is part of our nature of judging agents that there are some things that we can't possibly judge. So the distinction between different kinds of uh, nonsense I think is quite interesting, no matter whether one, one wants to uh, defend the multiple relation theory or, or not. And if instead one is interested in the multiple relation theory, as Dot was uh, very interested in it when uh, in the 20s, then indeed she has shown that the theory uh, can account for nonsense in a way that is defensible. What are some of the worries for her extension? So Dorothy was a mathematician and, and you can tell from her papers and her letters to Russell about the multiple relation theory. Because uh, what she does is to say, well, Russell, beautiful mind, he gave us the idea but his idea cannot account for all forms of judgments. So there are simple judgments as the judgment that philosophy is interesting, but there are also complex judgments. For example, the judgment that uh, my students unfortunately develop during their first year logic, that if philosophy is important, then unfortunately logic has to be studied. Now, this judgment is complex. It has a structure. If philosophy is important, then logic needs to be studied. And we do uh, judge complex things all the time. Now, Russell original theory is unable to account for complex judgments. And Dorothy extends the theory to account also for them. But in order to do that, she thinks that one of the things you are related to when you judge something is an abstract logical form. So what is the idea? Well, the idea is that if you bet, judge that if philosophy is important, then logic is important, then you are related to an array of things. 
philosophy, logic, the property of being important, but also an abstract logical form, a completely abstract structure of the form if-then, where then philosophy needs to play a particular role and logic needs to play another particular role. And the worry is then uh, that we are not all mathematicians. We don't tend to think of ourselves as related to these abstract mathematical structures. And when, you know, suppose a five years old judges that uh, if uh, I go to bed too late, then I will wake up tired. We tend to think that a five-year-old might not be related to an abstract mathematical structure, and still they can judge something like this. So the worry is that the account is uh, too mathematical for it to be a correct account for uh, human beings who are not all mathematicians, do not keep being related to these abstract structures. Mm. Are there any, are there reasons to take the multiple relation theory as doomed? Well, this is the traditional view. So the multiple relation theory has been traditionally considered to be a non-starter, really. But I think that, um, so it is surely a minority view, but I wouldn't say it is doomed. Not because it doesn't face some serious issues, but because I think that any theory of the on the nature of judgments has uh, serious problems. So, you know, no matter whether uh, we want to take uh, judgment to be a multiple relation, or we think that there is this thing which is supposed to be the product of our mental activity, no matter whether we want to see the subject as structuring object or the object of our judgment to be already structured, no matter what theory you, you go for, there are very serious problems. So typically we uh, think that judgment is something that we can do. But for example, if you take uh, judgment to be the grasping of, an, of a structured reality, then it becomes very difficult to understand how we can have any epistemic access to this structured reality in particular, if we take it not to be made of objects like you and me, but somehow with Glot of Frege, you take it to be uh, inhabiting what we call a platonic heaven. So there would be this set of uh, modes of presentation for reality structured in a certain way. And when we judge, we are supposed to touch this platonic heaven and somehow be acquainted with this structure. This is problematic, very problematic, because it's not clear how we can ever be in contact with any of these things. So any theory of uh, the nature of judgments as uh, as problems. So it is 
it's true that the multiple relation theory has problems, but I don't think they are more severe than the problems that the other than the other accounts uh, encounter. Now you mentioned before that there's there's some things that you just can't make a judgment on. Would you have some examples of those? Well, judgment is um, attributing something to something else. So you can't attribute whatever you you want, range would say. So for example, you can judge that philosophy is important. You are attributing the property of being important to the object philosophy. You can also uh, attribute properties that are somehow a category mistake. For example, you can uh, judge that the number two is yellow if you are mistaken, but you cannot, for example, judge that Adam, Bob, Carl. So this is complete nonsense in terms of a judgment. This is the example that goes back to Wittgenstein's original objection to, to Russell. You can't judge something that doesn't have the structure of a judgment. Anything that can be a judgment should be a predication of some kind, should be the attribution of a property. And then the problem is, can we take an object to be a property? Well, range would say, no, no, you, you can't. So is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? Um, well, I, I was telling you that uh, range, among other things, was working in philosophy of science. And again, you can tell from reading her uh, papers and, and letters. And I think that she has a methodological point that is quite interesting, no matter whether you care about the multiple relation theory or in fact any other theory on the nature of judgment in particular. So her theory is very complex and she knows that. And what she says about it, I think, is worth bearing in mind if you are interested in the nature of judgment. She says something along these lines. My theory of judgment is very complex, but look, think about what I'm working on. I'm working on judgment, and judgments are a very complex phenomenon. They concern the human mind that is indeed very complex itself. So the methodological point that I think is really a take-home message is that there will never be a theory that is a correct account on the nature of judgments that is simple. Any theory will need to take into account all the complexities of the human mind uh, and all the different abilities that the human mind, uh, the skills that the human mind has. And so any theory on the nature of our activity of judgment will need to be complex. I think this is a very important methodological point. Yes, yeah, that's that's very true. So how long have you been studying judgment? Uh, well, uh, since my undergraduate studies, so it is now uh, a lot, 
quite a lot of time. Uh, so I think it is around 15 years. Oh, wow. And uh, do you have any future plans, study plans within this field? Uh, yeah, so I'm actually quite excited because I am going to visit the uh, Dorothy Ringe archive uh, in uh, in the spring, next spring. And uh, I'm also working on my other uh, beloved female figure, so Suzanne Langer. Uh, I am not working on judgment straightforwardly. Langer was a logician, so I'm working on a notion of logical assertion. And you see that assertion and judgments are go together because we assert what we think. And then when we assert something, we put forward our judgment. So that is another thing that I'm working on. And uh, these female figures are not just minority figures because they uh, didn't receive the attention that I think they deserve, but also because they both put forward uh, minority views uh, themselves. And they are somehow inspirational to me because of that. So I am on research leave uh, in uh, next springtime and uh, I'm gonna uh, defend uh, my own minority view about the nature of judgment and the plan is to uh, write down uh, the view properly. So that's the plan at least. All right. Oh, that's, yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, it's a shame that these these women haven't got the recognition that they they should have had, isn't it? But, but it's, getting, it's getting better. So uh, quite a number of people have now realised that uh, these these figures really put forward some extraordinary theories, and some of them were really quite revolutionary for for their times. So they are both theoretically and historically interesting, and quite a number of people are now recognizing that. And uh, there is uh, a lot that has been done about them, and more will will come, I'm sure. Right. Okay. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. I was really my pleasure. Thanks, Beth. And I've been speaking with Dr. Julia Flappi about the nature of judgment. And that's all we have time for. Hope you've enjoyed the program. And do stay tuned for Dinosaur Prize Surprise. <laughs>